Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. It's FOMO Friday. Yes, it is. Once again, we want to make sure that you do not have the fear of missing out, especially if you're uh, not listening to the propaganda media any longer. And we want to get right into it today. And these uh, stories come from the Daily Wire. And this first story, well, it's it's over, over the years, this podcast, well, we have covered a number of companies and corporations that have gone woke. They try to to virtue signal to the public how open-minded and liberal they are. But there is a saying, and it says, go woke, go broke. And we are seeing signs of this happening to many businesses now that the economy is not so red hot anymore. It's, it's a lot easier to, to make over half of your potential customers mad by being woke when businesses are, are doing well. But when things slow down, well, that's when they start to feel it the most. And Disney is the latest woke corporation to feel the pinch. Disney CEO Bob Iger is reportedly set to cut thousands of people from the company in an attempt to save money. Variety reported that Iger said on the company's earnings call for the financial quarter of fiscal fiscal year 2022 that the company will reduce its workforce by 7,000 employees. Now, the cut represents 3.2% of the company's 220,000 global workforce in, uh, is, is what is said in his report. The company hopes to save more than $5 billion in costs, half of which is aimed at cutting back on non-content costs, as they they call it. The company also is looking to cut back on sports by roughly $3 billion. Quote, I have enormous respect and appreciation for the dedication of our employees worldwide, Iger said. Of course, as he's firing 3.2% of them. The report said that Iger laid out a new company structure for Disney comprised of three separate segments, Disney Entertainment, ESPN, and Disney Parks. Now, the announcement comes after nearly, well, newly released legislation by Florida Republicans this week, which will allow Governor Ron DeSantis to appoint all five leaders of Disney's tax district in Orlando and will officially rename the district. The bill will turn the Reedy Creek Improvement District into the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District and will deliver on DeSantis' promise last year to take over the district. Now, this is kind of an interesting deal here. DeSantis' office said that the special tax district, which has allowed Disney to to govern themselves since 1967, turned the park, the theme park, into an uncontrollable corporate kingdom, as they call it. Florida is dissolving the corporate kingdom and becoming a new era of accountability and transparency. This is what DeSantis said. He said, these actions ensure a state-controlled district accountable to the people instead of a corporate-controlled kingdom. Now, DeSantis' office said that the legislation 
uh, would would do these things. It would permanently eliminate uh, Disney's self-governing status. Now, if you if you didn't know, uh, Disney has basically been able to govern themselves in this area. It's kind of a, uh, an, an area where you know they don't have to be held accountable to most of of you know government, and so they 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 are their own government basically in this area, and that is going away here. Uh, it imposes a state-controlled term limit board with members appointed by the governor on Disney and its property, uh, allows the state to impose taxes on Disney for possible road projects outside the district's boundaries. It ensures that Disney pays the 700 plus million in unsecured debt, not the Florida taxpayers, provides no control of the district to the leftist local government in Orange County, which threatened to leverage the situation and, and raise local taxes. Uh, it imposes Florida law uh, so that Disney no longer is given preferred treatment. It prevents Disney from gaining more land by eminent domain. And there's there's one right there. I mean, eminent domain basically means that, that a government, if let's say they're putting in a new road and there's one person that doesn't want to sell their home, uh, the government can do it. They have to give them fair market value for their property but they can basically just take it over. Well, Disney was giving was given that kind of power and they will no longer have that. Uh, it also creates an advan- avenue uh, to compel Disney to contribute to local infrastructure. Now, DeSantis office also released a list of some of the powers that Disney previously had when they governed themselves. This is what they had. Full self-governing status with uh, with a Disney select board, the ability to build airports and nuclear facilities. Disney could have built a nuclear facility right there by the park. Acquisition of property beyond district's uh, uh, territory by uh, condemnation and eminent domain. We just talked about that. Uh, Unilateral boundary changes. So they could literally just change the boundaries there. Uh, No bid uh, uh, procurements of construction contracts. So they can basically just give it to whoever whoever they want. They didn't have to go out and bid for them like like, uh, most government governments have to do. And in this case, they basically set them out, some, themselves up as a government and a government operation. Uh, operating standards that that varied from, from Florida statute. So basically, they didn't have to follow Florida statute in many cases. And exemptions from regulatory reviews and approvals that other companies must navigate. So <laughs> they 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 basically got to regulate themselves and not not have anybody else do it. Now Jeff Vale, the president of Walt Disney World Resort, said in a statement that the company was closely watching the legislation. We I bet they are. <laughs> and and speaking of closely watching, very few Americans watched Joe President uh, President Joe Biden and his State of the Union address. President Joe Biden spent seventy minutes, actually a little more than that, um, uh, blowovating over uh, the current state of affairs in America at the annual State of the Union address. This happened this last Tuesday night. Now, in short, the president used his time trying to convince the the average American that their lying eyes are deceiving them. <laughs> now, um, we what we want to do is we want to give the State of the Union um, a grade. Let's let's do that, right? Uh, and from Tim Mead, he said to help 
uh, condense the review of his speech, we thought we'd give the alleged former and, and full-time professor at Penn a grade of his own, right? Here's a Spark Notes version of the speech that he slurred his way through. The economy is booming. The border is secure. Ukraine is winning the war. They just need one more round of billions. Climate change is killing us all. And Republicans are the divisive ones, not the guy who called 75 million Americans ultra-mega extremists threatening democracy, right? Uh, oh, also, they think men can be women and that abortion is a gift from God to be protected. So, yeah, needless to point out, that's all a bunch of malarkey, as the big guy likes to say. Uh, worse, the speech itself was not anything unique. It was a campaign speech, not even pretending to be a State of the Union speech. He trotted out the same tired lines that we have all heard before, and he even regurgitated lines from last year's State of the Union. I mean, they couldn't even come up with anything new. Curiously, it seems that Biden spent a lot of time discussing things yet to come, not the state of the country as it is now. With dismal approval ratings and the vast majority of Americans not wanting him to run again, it's easy to see why he'd want to talk about, you know, what the days ahead uh, and what they're uh, going to look like instead of what they are now. Now, here's a more detailed report card breaking down Biden's speech. And, and, and uh, we're going to start with the economy. The president claimed that he created 12 million jobs in this speech. Uh, or, and he also claimed that, that, that this was more than any other president in history um, two years into his term. Even PolitiFact, I mean, even PolitiFact, I mean, these guys are ultra liberal and they called it baloney on this one. Many of those jobs were ones that came back from before the pandemic, not brand new jobs at all. I mean, we basically told people to stay home and then he takes credit for them coming back to work when we told him, okay, it's now time to come back to work. <laughs> the president even had the gall to claim that his administration has worked to bring down inflation while ignoring the fact that it's still much higher than when he came into office. <laughs> Biden also repeated that weird claim that fast food workers had to sign non-compete agreements and couldn't get a job across town. That, that one's already been debunked. Everybody knows that's not true. The best part of the night was that Biden was fact-checked in real time by GOP members when he tried claiming that Republicans wanted to cut Social Security and other entitlements. <laughs> I thought he was almost going to get booed out of the room. <laughs> but let's, let's switch to energy. Regarding energy, Biden didn't spend too much time on this, and, and perhaps for good reason. His remarks drew audible laughs from the GOP when he blasted oil companies for record profits. And he claimed that the oil companies, quote, invested too little of that profit to increase domestic production and keep gas prices down. And he added corporations ought to do the right thing, as he, as he put it. Then Biden, and, th and this is just, this was, uh, this was almost hilarious. It really was. Then Biden said that executives told him point blank that they didn't invest due to his policy, to, due to his policies and what they meant as far as abolishing fossil fuels. He, <laughs> I mean, he reassured them by saying, well, 
we're going to need oil for at least another decade. <laughs> that line, it drew uproarious response. I mean, perhaps because no company would invest given that timeline, but also because America will need fossil fuels for decades to come. I mean, it's just funny. It's like, here, how come you're not investing in in, in new new oil production? I, I'm, I'm not going to cut it off for, you know, you, you could probably make maybe two or three years worth of profit on it. <laughs> it's just, okay. The Let's switch to the border. Biden called upon Congress to come together on the border and in a truly bipartisan fashion, which of course means amnesty for some and, and all illegal, illegal aliens, right? The president also claimed that Border Patrol is has seized 20,000 pounds of fentanyl over the past year at the border. What he left out, according to the Washington Post, is that U.S. authorities seized only 5 to 10% of the number of drugs smuggled into the country. So that 20,000 pounds of fentanyl probably only represents about 5%. That should give you an idea of the incredible amount of drugs that flow through that southern border of ours. Now, he also neglected to mention that his policies, chiefly the the catch and release, well, they're fueling cartels in Mexico. And there's some real unfortunate things that are going on down there. Now, foreign policy, speaking of foreign policy, regarding uh, the, the foreign policy of this country, the president um, rehashed the same lines of defending democracy in Ukraine. And, and while perhaps an, a noble goal, really, in theory, what he left out is that a year into the war, Ukraine isn't anywhere closer to winning. And he again promised to support Ukraine against Russia for as long as it takes, he put. Now, polls indicate Americans are growing weary of that messaging and want at least peace talks to be going on. And then, interestingly enough, Biden decided to talk about China. Now, this is fresh off Chinese Communist Party sending a spy balloon that that traversed the entire U.S. continental states. And the commander-in-chief claimed that China was no longer increasing its power and that America was no longer falling in the world. (laughs) Of course, the balloon incident was entirely embarrassing for the United States. And China has has eaten our lunch, particularly as as it ramps up its uh, domestic fossil fuel production while America has worked to make us dependent on foreign oil and gas. And he ended that, that portion by just like, going into this tirade, he was like, like very mad. I and mean, he's he's saying, "Name me a world leader who changed, who who, who would change places with uh, Jinping." I mean, it just made no sense. I mean, well, like most of his speech, right? But social issues. Let's let's get onto that. Fresh off talking about the border, Biden jumped into Roe versus Wade, the most Catholic president ever, according to him or what you know whatever he calls himself claimed that congress must restore the so-called right to abortion right there's a right to abortion democrats stood and cheered actually for the killing of the unborn it was grotesque now he also called upon congress to pass the bipartisan uh, equality act in in order to protect lgbtq individuals now, readers should know, uh, and if you've been reading anything or been listening to this podcast, that you should know that, th- that this bill supports um, the mutation of children. 
and when it comes to like sex change procedures, uh, even for minors. And and he he even politicized points in this in this speech where he could have actually done the opposite. Biden could have had a nice moment of unity while recognizing Paul Pelosi, who survived an attack, attack allegedly committed by a deranged illegal alien. But instead, he used the moment to make a veiled jab about January 6th and the former President Donald Trump 2020 election claims as as if those explained why a crazy guy with a hammer broke into Pelosi's home. And Biden, he actually went after blue collar Trump voters, and he did so really hard. Former President Donald Trump won in in. In 2016, of course, in in a large in large part thanks to his his rhetoric, rhetoric about the the forgotten man and bringing back American manufacturing, and across the country, blue, blue collar voters you know flipped from having previously voted for De- for Democrats and supported Trump in his in his uh, race against Hillary Clinton. And in 2020 election, Trump maintained that support, but many stayed home. And so what is happening now? Well, Biden's trying to go after them by using basically almost the exact same rhetoric. So what grade do we want to give this? Well, um, what we're, what we're, looks like we're going to give him is a D plus. I mean, that's, I think, generous. I mean, all in all, the speech was nothing new. It wasn't surprising. Uh, it was, it was more of the same type of stuff, you know, blame Republicans for the problems and then lie, lie, lie. Right. Given the fact that he re- cycled old material and had no true moments of unity aside from from saying you you should never you know bet against america as well as the fact that 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 he appeared visibly confused at times and and very combative at other times biden earned a a d plus for his speech i think and had had the writing been better and had he offered it you know a fresh path toward you know the nation or at least you know, pretended to, perhaps that score, you know, could be a, a bit higher, but, but he gets a D plus. So sorry, Joe, no low lowering the standards via uh, equity around here, but, but we like to be fair around here when, when we can. And, and on this podcast, we, we, uh, we want to show both sides. So let's give a grade for the GOP response to the state of the union address as well. Having given the opportunity, um, you know, the, of opposing the opposing party's response after the State of the Union always seems like drawing the short, short stick as um, as a politician. At least that's the way it seemed for whoever had to respond to President Donald Trump or even President Barack Obama, really, in their State of the Union address speeches. But on Tuesday night, after President Joe Biden provided a rambling speech where he just slurred lies and spewed division, newly sworn in Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's the Republican governor of Arkansas, shined as she was tapped to give the official GOP rebuttal to Biden. Now, Sanders' message was refreshing, really, for its clarity as well as its consciousness in in explaining you know what's at stake she said quote being a mom to three young children taught me not to believe every story i hear <laughs> so forgive me for not believing much of anything i heard tonight from president biden now she said from from uh out of control inflation and violent crime to dangerous 
border crisis and and, uh, threat from China, Biden and the Democrats have failed you. Now, Sanders then went on to profess that what truly makes America great. She said, tonight, let us reaffirm our commitment to a timeless American idea that government exists not to rule the people, but to serve the people. And she said that Democrats want to rule us with more government control. But that's not who we are, <laughs> taking, taking a, a line from Obama. Now, reminding Americans of their remarkable place in history, the, the former Trump White House press secretary said that America is the greatest country the world has ever known because we are the freest country the world has ever known with a people who are strong and resilient. The, the youngest governor, she's the youngest governor in the country, was able to intertwine her own story to highlight the, the difference between the GOP and the Biden's agenda. Quote, I'm the first woman to lead my state. He's the first man to surrender his presidency to a woke mob that can't even tell you what a woman is. She also said that in the in the radical left's America, Washington taxes you and lights your hard-earned money on fire. But you get crushed with high gas prices, empty grocery shelves, and other children uh, are, are uh, and our children are taught to hate one another on account of their race, but not to love one another or our great country. Now Sanders also put forth what the the political fight from here on on out is is truly about. She said that the the uh, dividing line in America is no longer between right and left. This is what she says. She said the choice is between normal and crazy. <laughs> so so what does crazy look like? Well, as Sanders said, she said that the Biden administration seems more interested in woke fantasies than the, the hard reality Americans face every day. Most Americans simply want to live their lives in freedom and peace. But we are under attack in the left-wing culture war, and we didn't start it and and never wanted to fight it in the first place. But every day we are told that we must partake in their rituals, salute their flags, and worship their false idols, all while big government colludes with big tech to strip away the most American thing there is, your freedom of speech. And see, that's good. That's just good stuff. That'll preach. She said, that's not normal. It's crazy. And it's wrong. One thing is clear. The new generation of Republicans isn't shying away from the culture wars or taking on big business when needed. I mean, she also tackled illegal immigration. She tackled uh, foreign policy uh, embarrassments and more. She ended her speech by uh, entrusting the future into God's hands. So this is what she said. She says, and with God as our witness, we will show the world that America is still the place where freedom reigns and liberty will never die. Indeed, all of that does sound normal, especially compared to the freak show that is the Democratic Party. Uh, so overall, she, I think she earns a B plus. While the, the speech was great when when focused on the issues of the day, it, it could have been you know sharpened by by providing some more tangible solutions from the GOP uh, to counteract left wing lunacy. But it was clearly the best rebuttal in quite some time. 
And, and speaking of left-wing lunacy, <laughs> uh, more than one in three members of Congress accepted campaign contributions from former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried and other affiliates of the defunct cryptocurrency exchange. Now, the the, the uh, bankruptcy lawyers are finding resistance as they seek to claw back some of the funds. They're trying to get back as much as they can so that those that lost uh, lots lots of dollars, um, they can at least get something back. Now, Bankman Freed was arrested and charged with several counts of fraud after allegedly commingling assets between FTX and the sister trading company Alameda Research. And his extensive political connections came to public attention in the weeks after the company's bankruptcy, including $39 million he donated to Democrats ahead of the midterms and four um, meetings that he got granted at the White House. FTX, which is now uh, led by a bankruptcy lawyer, uh, John Ray III, announced Sunday that the company is beginning sending confidential messages to political figures, <laughs> political action funds, and other recipients of the contributions. Um, so basically, they're trying to get some of this back. Uh, a previous analysis of the Federal, uh, federal Election Commission data uh, produced by Coindesk uh, concluded last month that 100, get this, 196, so almost, almost 200 of the 535 members of the House and the Senate received donations from Bankman-Fried and his associates. Some 34 of the 53 campaigns that responded to the outlet said that they would forward the money to various nonprofit causes. But this is the thing. FTX warned that making a payment or donation to a third party, including a charity, would not prevent the company from seeking recovery from the recipient or or any subsequent uh, tra uh, transferee. So, in other words, they're saying, "Oh, we're not going to give it back to FTX, because, you know, because you know we we're, we'll give it to some charity and make, and make ourselves look good." And they're saying, "Well, you can do that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're." going that you that you're going to get uh you know we're not going to come after you for the money you can you can make whatever donation you want so um you know side note here um the Oregon Democratic Party uh has not yet given back the half a million dollars that they illegally received from Bankman Fried so it'll it'll be interesting to see what's going on, what's going to happen with that one and 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 we often like to end on a lighter note but I couldn't end today without bringing you this. It's by Ben Shapiro, and and um, and it's it's his thoughts on what happened at this year's Grammys. And you may say Grammys, what are those? I mean, nobody really cares, right, anymore. But this week, the Grammys were held in Los Angeles, and they featured a star-studded uh, cavalcade of singers who can't sing and song uh, songsters who you know require a team of dozens to to write their songs and dancers who can't dance. And they also featured a full-on satanic ritual on stage, starring uh, used to be jet, uh, just a gay dude, then queer, gender queer, now gender non-binary singer Sam Smith, and transgender female, which of course means you know biological male, Kim Petras. Now their song "Unholy" won them Best Pop Group and Group Performance. 
And their performance in which the, the Tubby Smith donned a Satan outfit and top hat with horns, uh, while Petrus um, gyrated on uh, in, in a cage surrounded by uh, a Satan costume strip, strippers all over the place, made headlines for its uh, transgressive imagery. Now, the goal, of course, of this is to tweak people of a traditionally religious bent and, and then draw a response and then act offended, right? That's what they love to do. So why can't you just leave us alone, is what they'll say. And they'll cry this, um, you know, the, the cultural elites will cry this as they demand our attention. And we're all supposed to just be shocked, of course. That's that's the point of, of all this. But the fact that the performance is so mm, unshocking should be the real shock here. The, the Grammys were sponsored by major corporations and shadow president of the United States and, and the world's greatest physician, of course, Dr. Jill Biden. And, and she showed up to present a, an award and, and CBS even tweeted and, and uh, in, in anticipation of the satanic routine, they, they tweeted this. They said, we are ready to worship. But the truth is that Satan is, he's, he's really in right now. After all, Satan's message has become our societies. You know, personal um, authenticity requires the uh, destruction of all the traditional mores and the and the trashing of all immense institutions of Western civilization. To be free means to live without rules or boundaries, and and our truest heroes are those who say you know, that, that it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. But, you know, here's the deal. God makes demands of us, and God suggests that there might be higher truth to which we are subject, rules and, and roles that we ought to obey. And you know what? This is God. This is Satan's domain now. And until we get to heaven, we have to put up with that. And we're not to, you know, th this type of stuff, we... I guess we sh shouldn't even be shocked, but you can always, you can always comment on this you can go to uncommonsensepodcast.com to do so. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.